On this today's episode of Vice Versa, we're going to be talking about Elon possibly merging Tesla and SpaceX, Toyota releasing this crazy small little EV, Akon building a real-life Wakanda, and also LG and Tesla making some big moves in the battery industry in Indonesia. And as usual, I'm joined by Ricky from 2-Bit Da Vinci. How you doing, Ricky? Good. Good, Matt. It was a uh, good holiday season. I got a chance to spend some time with my mom and dad and stuff, and i um, looking forward to having the show today. So you want to jump right into it? Let's jump right in and talk about the very first story. This one is interesting. Uh, and by the way, the, the genesis of this, I think, is really amazing. And for a lot of you guys who are on Twitter and a part of the community, um, you got to know that the stuff that we say and our ideas and stuff really are getting traction. So Dave Lee on Investing, who is a YouTube channel that I follow on, on YouTube, he mentioned to Elon on a tweet, he says, hey, Elon, we should, we should form a large holding company that encompasses all of your different interests and call it X. And Elon goes, I like the idea. <laughs> and that's how this started. Um, but the idea really is uh, similar to the analogy of Google, what they did with Alphabet. Although, and I think you'll jump into this, Matt, the, it's kind of apples and oranges. The, the comparisons aren't exactly probably fair. But the idea is imagine a large conglomerate called X that would be the larger holdings company that would be the owner of Tesla and SpaceX. And there's probably some interesting reasons there for bookkeeping purposes as far as like sharing costs between the companies, you know, SpaceX with some of their, um, some of their sidings and stuff were going to be used in the Cybertruck. And so that might help them there. There's also some other synergies with Neuralink and some of the software parts as well. So the idea is what if Elon was able to take Tesla private again in a way by owning it in a, a part of this bigger picture? What do you, what do, what's your take on this? <laughs> this one to me was kind of a fun thought experiment. Like, well, what if they went under one giant umbrella and Elon had more, you know, because kind of a conglomerate, but it doesn't make sense to me because Google did this because it was properties they owned. It was, they already had them all. It was all Google and they were breaking it apart into separate businesses. And this is doing the exact opposite. It's taking disparate private companies and pulling them under one public company, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's like, it feels like it could potentially bring the Tesla stock value down because you have things like the boring company pulling it down. And it just, there's so many questions that this would raise. And I think it'd be so complex on top of which, Elon has said numerous times, I'm surprised he said this is an interesting idea because he has said numerous times how he does not, he wishes he hadn't taken Tesla public. And it's like he wanted to take Tesla private at one point and he probably still does. So why would he want to bring all of his private companies public by merging them like this? It doesn't make sense unless he actually took Tesla private and then he created this private company X that was holding all these private companies underneath it. And it's like, but at that point, why even do that in the first place? So to me, this was, it just didn't make sense because it didn't feel like what Google was doing with Alphabet. It's something completely separate, but it was still a fun thought think, experiment to look at it. I think I got the answer for you. Okay. I think it all has to do with this. <laughs> <laughs> I love so I got my that. Tesla tequila, by the way, the other day. I'll just leave it out here for, for a second. It's really an amazingly gorgeous bottle. Um, it's so pretty. But they have all these plans of doing a million different things. It does kind of remind me a little bit of Google. So part of why Google did the Alphabet kind of uh, spinoff is because Google 
uh, we were joking about this before the show. Google is a search company that has failed at a lot of other things. If you look back at their history of like chatting applications, they have Google like Messenger and Meet and Allo and Voice, and they, they've tried so many different iterations of it. So I think what their shareholders were saying was, why don't you take your R&D experiments and go spin off something else? Why, do you, why, does, why should that hurt our bottom line in terms of like the money printing machine that is Google search? So, yeah, I mean, I think Tesla does want to do cool stuff like marketing gimmicky stuff like this, where they're kind of like Supreme. They kind of remind me a little bit of Supreme, where I feel like Elon lays in bed and goes, what would be a crazy cool thing we could make like <laughs> 10,000 of and charge a ton of money for it? And that the flamethrower comes to mind, the surfboard. So I'm hoping, by the way, that they do this every year. And I've already told my wife, I didn't buy the flamethrower. I didn't buy the, the you know, the boring. I'm going to do it in the future. So so as far as, you know, the, the point of this, yeah, it's interesting. No one person's going to buy Tesla, not anymore. At $60 billion in valuation, it's not going to happen. You can say Elon is the richest man in the world today, but his wealth is in line with Tesla's growth. Mm -hmm. So he's worth $140 billion today based on Tesla's $600 billion. Right. So if he were to do it, he'd have to combine forces with other people. And um, by the way, in the article, they mention a SPAC. Imagine an Elon Musk and friends, maybe like Larry Ellison was mentioned, he's on the board. Imagine if they formed a special purpose acquisition company and they were with all the hype. And I mean, imagine if Elon was in charge of a company that would be buying out companies or running something. You can imagine that price would get run up pretty fast. And if eventually they could afford a $600 billion company, which was Tesla. Tesla has grown. That's actually the problem now of taking it private. Tesla mm -hmm. is just too big now to take back. So how he accomplishes that, because you're right about the fact that he doesn't like the fact that they're public. He doesn't like this quarterly earnings kind of BS. I think he would rather get to work long term. Um, so interesting. I think I'm with you probably. I don't know that it makes a lot of sense, but maybe maybe someone has a reason for why something we're missing maybe. I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> I don't know about that, but it's still fun. <clears throat> it's still fun to think about. It's just a, a what if. Next up, we have Toyota releasing, announcing, not releasing, but announcing the C Plus Pod. And <laughs> I like the title that's calling it a cutesy Sign new EV. Yeah. This, we talked <laughs> about this like in the, one of our last episodes where we talked about these cool new EV concepts that are like super purpose built and they're super tiny and they're me meant for a very specific purpose. This thing, you you should put this article into our, our share sheet. And I, when I saw this, I was like, this is, this is awesome. I, I want one of these. This thing is just so freaking cool. It has almost 100 miles of range, according to what it, the, the specs. It only weighs 1,500 pounds. It's 91, 98 inches long, <laughs> 51 inches wide, and 61 inches tall. It is a tiny, tiny car. It's very utilitarian, like the inside of the car. The seats do not look comfortable. It looks like it's meant to go from point A to point B, nothing more. It's no frills. But for something that's got a range of 100 miles this small, it's meant to go around town to get you to your job and back. It's it's meant for really short trips. And when <laughs> I would be all over this. That's the first thing that came to mind was my wife and I both basically work from home now. It's like I work from home all the time. She's working from home more and more. So it's like we technically don't need two full huge cars. So it's like we could have our Model 3 as our traveling car. And then you have something like this that would just be perfect for just like going to the store and back and doing little errands around town. It's like this would be like the perfect car for that. Downside to me is it's still expensive. It's like $1,500 or 
or $1,600, I think it was. And there's a question for me, Toyota being so late to the party on EVs, on a battery electric, because they, they've been holding on to fuel cell for so long. It's like, are they going to actually make this at any kind of scale that will be meaningful? Are they going to actually deliver on the promise of what this is? So for me, they're still, Toyota still has to prove themselves, but the idea of it is so cool. I'm glad we didn't talk about these articles. Well, we, we did talk about <laughs> some of them, but not this one. Because yeah. uh -huh. my take is actually a little bit different. Oh, really? um, to me, this feels like a research experiment, kind of like a, let's test the market. Let's see where people are at with EVs. And I just feel like people are way further along at this point. I, you're right. I think, I mean, it is a cool concept, kind of like a smart 4.2 or, you know, like one, yeah. some of those like micro cars. There's a Scion, is it IQ maybe I think it's called, which is a gas version, but it's like dinky and really tiny. This might even be based on that. Yeah. But to my mind, um, so one thing you did, you mentioned on the specs, but I don't know if you saw the the, the speed, the, the maximum speed is about 40 miles an hour. That, that, so that's... you can't even get on the freeway with it, which is good, which is which could which could work around town, right? Yeah. But I mean, what would you gain? Better efficiency? I mean, your Model 3 is already crazy economic to recharge and it's so efficient. So if you're getting four and a half miles per kilowatt hour, and this thing could do what, maybe six? I don't know. I'm not sure exactly what that would would, would work out to, but. But this is basically the same exact kind of car as I think it was the Peugeot that we talked about last time, which was it's basically the same size. It's a two seater. Kids can drive it. It maxes out its speed. At, I think it was like 35 or 40 miles an hour. It's basically the same exact thing. And part of what gets right. me excited about these is for congested European cities or even very dense cities here. Like my brother lives in New York City. And it's like he's never going to own a car. But imagine and he's having... never going over 30 miles an hour. No, exactly. <laughs> so imagine like he, he, he rents, uh, was it smart, not smart cars. What's the, um, car rental service that you just pay a monthly fee and then you can just grab. Yeah. I know you're talking about car yeah. to go. There's another one. Yeah. Too. It's something like that. It's like, imagine that service having fleets of these around New York city. It's like, that's what gets me so excited about this size and model. I don't think this kind of car is going to be like sold out in the middle of Nebraska. It's like, this is not. This is not what it's for, but I'm just excited to see Toyota finally looking like they're starting to do something interesting and deliver something yeah, but, that's unique. Yeah, I think their their choice is a little odd, though. I think a couple of years ago, maybe this would have been a, a good entry point. But if you think about like how like Tesla is really going like Model 3, that's a car or a Model Y, especially in the US. These are cars that everybody could buy and live with today without any problem. This really isn't still. So to my mind, they're like, I will not risk anyone not buying a gas Corolla. So this car, it doesn't really compete with that. If you were going to go buy like a Corolla or a Camry, this isn't going to cannibalize that. So to my mind, I still feel them with that that anchor around their neck that they're living in fear of cannibalizing their really well-selling uh, crossovers and, and sedans and stuff. So I, I'm with you. I think it would be cool. I'd love to drive one. I think it'd be so yes. cool to like drive it through like, you know, like. It's just a, it's a big golf cart. That's essentially what it is. I wonder if it's zippy. It seems like it'd be pretty zippy, but yeah, 37 miles an hour, uh, you know, how fast can you really get to? So this again is kind of this crazy story we've been covering almost every week with Toyota. They're a really important player mm -hmm. and it's hard to figure them out, right? I mean, you're kind of optimistic with the story. I was kind of pessimistic, I think, but they, they, um, they've got their work cut out for them. And I think we should continue to just keep an eye on what they're doing, but this is interesting. It feels like like, have you heard of Tesla? They're making EVs that are normal, 
people yeah. love them and they're buying them as fast as they can make them you don't need to be you know like testing the market kind of a thing anyway but maybe maybe i'm i think i'm at glass half full it's like i'm just happy to see them doing something with battery electric vehicles so it's like if this works well maybe they'll start to take it more seriously let's hope and yeah. we'll, we'll cover more stuff hopefully there's like a like the mustang mach e to me now that i'm waiting yes. for the toyota moment when toyota builds a car like that we'll talk about that on the show yes but hopefully soon 100 percent. all right this is a fun one my <laughs> my wife and my brother-in-law both shared this with me and um Akon hasn't really been in the news very much. I, I'm not sure I was a huge fan of him when he was around, but I remember he was around maybe in the 2000s. Uh, rapper, hip-hop artist Akon is planning to build a $6 billion real life, he calls it Wakanda, in Senegal, which is the country where he's from. And this is interesting to me because I think of, I think of um, Africa as one of these countries uh, as a continent that is going to go through a lot of change. Uh, China is already, I don't know if you've been kind of following the news with China, but China is massively investing in Africa. They'll, they'll go to a place where there's like no infrastructure and they'll offer to build the infrastructure and then the jobs and the plants and stuff. So China is already completely kind of like colonial. I kind of think it was like colonizing, uh, like kind of a colonial move, but they are kind of colonizing uh, con colonizing uh, <laughs> Africa. But his his plan is to build this really cool modern Wakanda, if you remember from the movie. And at the heart of this thing is going to be like renewable energy and sustainability. So the buildings are going to be very efficient. There's going to be like green spaces and maybe like roof gardens and solar panels and everything's going to be very like close to carbon neutral. So there's there's a lot of really like interesting kind of things. And part of what makes this interesting for me is, here's some pictures, isn't that, isn't that cool? It's beautiful, it's so cool. Yeah, part of, and, and I don't think this is how, how it'll turn out, but he, apparently his funding is kind of, he's securing most of the funding and they're planning to break ground in 2021 as far as that goes. But why I find this really fascinating is because I think Africa is gonna have a lot to offer uh, coming coming up. If you think about the battery supply chain side of it, We've, we've kind of talked about cobalt and the, the, and the Congo. That's a very unfortunate one. But there's others. Like, there's a lot of mining operations that happen in Africa. So I think the, the lithium-ion battery and electric vehicle, whenever you have kind of shifts like that, you'll have new power centers. And maybe Africa becomes a very investable place. And maybe there's huge levels of investment that happen over the coming decade or two. And you actually get to travel and visit the world of uh, the real-life Wakanda, which would be amazing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. The pictures are crazy. It's, yeah, it's it's so it's so fun. I mean, when you put this in there, it just made me smile. Um, it's it's over the past I don't know decade or so. It's like I keep seeing stories popping up about how there's a lot of investment going into like you brought up China's investment in Africa, but there's a lot of African countries. Um, I think it was let me I wrote down a couple of notes here. It was Nigeria, Kenya, and Egypt are all like becoming technology hubs in the on the continent. And so it's like more of these investments and growth opportunities and build outs like this are just going to help kind of like kind of help Africa as a continent turn the corner and become more of a major player in the world space, especially when it comes to technologies, the battery industry, EVs, whatever it is. It's like it's great to see investment like this happening. And I'm really hoping that this turns out like those images because those are 
gorgeous and it would become not just a, a tech hub and a investment hub but it could become a tourist attraction and it could draw a lot of attention to those countries and really help in, uh, spur investment further so it's like super exciting for me to see this happening i hope he succeeds i really do me too yeah and if i was actually trying to figure out if there's a way you could even a little bit of money or like invest something yeah. into the into the idea but it is very very cool um one of my favorite ceos is the ceo of salesforce mark benioff and in his recent book, he talks about how he views business as like the greatest platform for change and, and you know, like lifting people out of poverty. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm a huge believer in that. I think like donations and charity work is important, but build jobs, build business. And what's really interesting is Asia now is like the hot new market. If you want to make a lot of money, make a lot of new iPhone sales or new EV sales, you got to go into India and China and all these like really emerging um, parts. Africa is after that. So if you want to have more customers, you need more people who have like infrastructure and, and jobs and opportunity and better pay. Plus, you'll also have people who could run your factories. Imagine if, imagine if like Tesla or somebody decided to build this mega factory uh, in, in Africa somewhere. And suddenly, like how that would change the entire landscape. I remember I was looking, uh, I have a lot of family and stuff. I grew up in Lake Tahoe near Reno, Nevada. And when the Gigafactory was was built, the homes in that area have like doubled in price, like over the last four or five years. And it's kind of that sort of a thing when you have new jobs and new opportunities, the, the sky is really kind of the limit. And I'm really optimistic to see more parts of the world join the modern world in terms of like building manufacturing production and and just generally being a part of the economy. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, well, the next one's also a little fun. Um, <laughs> this one... I love this. I, I love the movie Wally, -E, and this just made me think of Wally -E when I saw it. But VW has unveiled <laughs> a, a prototype of its autonomous charging robot. Now, besides it looking like Wally, -E, I thought this was a really cool story because it's a unique take on how to solve the challenge around charging infrastructure in parking garages and parking structures and parking lots. Because I know you, you've probably all seen it. Like you go into your local mall, and there might be like a Volta charging spot at the end of one row. So you have a charger. You might have one like over by the store. It's like you have a handful of them. This approach is instead of building out like 15 custom charging spots, you basically build out a charging infrastructure that has battery packs and then a handful of these robots that come over, grab one of the batteries and then tool it over to your car and then automatically charge your car. Now, let me pull up the video here. This is, it's just a crazy little <laughs> adorable robot but the idea of having the charger come to you it seems I don't, I don't know why this isn't being done more it's like it seems so smart to me because then you don't have to worry about building out you know 20 different unique charging spots because you only have to basically build out one charging infrastructure for all of the battery packs and then you just have all these batteries going to where you are in the parking lot to charge you up while you're going shopping or going to get a bite to eat so this is, to me, it's like, it's not the ultimate solution, but it's like a piece of the puzzle. It's so clever to me that I really hope that this isn't, isn't a, look how crazy smart we are and they never come out with it. I really do hope that they come out with prototypes of this in some kind of parking garages as a test to see how well it works, because it's just, it's way too cool. It's little lollies charging your car up. Come on. Very cute. Definitely very cute. I almost think the cuter it is, the, the less likely they're actually going to build it. And it's more for like PR and stuff. Um, I have two problems with this. And I'm, I'm curious what your take is. The first is these would be more batteries, 
right? So we would need batteries to be lugged around to charge a battery. So it's another mm -hmm. step along the way. So in terms of efficiency losses and stuff. And plus now you have lithium-ion battery demand that isn't even going to drive in a car or I guess it could potentially provide grid stability, right? When you're not, yep. these cars aren't being charged. They, okay, so there's there's that, which is kind of yep. cool. But you'd have to have this robot pick up a battery pack to then go and charge your battery pack, which means if like in the future we have 350 watt charging, you're gonna have, you know, 25 kilowatt hours, which I think is what some of those battery packs they were listing at, is gonna get depleted pretty quickly. And then they gotta go return to go charge. So like how much throughput you would have kind of is kind of a question I would have. And, the, you know, whereas if you just ran like high voltage DC lines under the floor everywhere, um, charging is probably cheaper that way than it would be with batteries. You gonna say something? I was gonna say, it's, but this is like a, a specific use case. Like imagine going to the airport. Like I go to, a I'm gonna be gone for two weeks. I can't park my car in the EV charging spot, leave it plugged in for two weeks, hogging that spot up. That's a but very I could good park, point. I can park my car in the parking garage and then on the day I'm returning back in, I could pull up my phone, pull up an app, and hit a button saying, charge my car up before I get there. And like the hours before I get there, this little robot tool goes over my car, plugs me in, charges me up, and then I have 50 miles of range topped off my car to get me home. It's like that kind of use case that's is a just great use case. so cool. It's like that's why it gets me excited. I had thought of that. That is a great, great use case. So now as I'm hearing you say that, I think we absolutely will need this because there's going to be scenarios like that. Right. But I kind of think the future really should be, and I'm not how expensive this would be, but like on the floor inductive charging, you remember yes. the companies we talked to at Fully Charged, yes. uh, I was shocked at how efficient they were. They were claiming around 94, 95% of the power that you're using is actually going to the battery pack, which I thought was pro always a problem with induction. But the technology is improving, it's getting there. And to my mind, like how much would it cost when you're building like an underground structure or retrofitting? How much would it cost to have like induction charging every spot? And all right. you do is you pull up, park and walk away. So upfront capital costs are probably higher com compared to having like 10 robots that could take care of it. But as we have more EVs, you're going to have more cars that need it too. Yeah. So that would have to scale up. Like today, when one in 10 cars is an EV, it's not a big deal. But what happens when 10 in 10 cars is an EV? Uh, you have to have a lot of robots and a lot of battery packs and stuff. But yep. I, I'm with you though. The, the the airport example is a great is a great example of sometimes you don't really plan on occupying a parking spot, but you might just need it for a couple of minutes and then you could. Yeah. Okay. Touche. It looks like, like Wally. Come on. It Who does. Have a little Wally rolling around the car garage? That'd be kind of cool. You know, it'd be kind of cool though. Is an intimidating robot. I want to see like a little <laughs> like like one of those Japanese fighting robots. Like you know, what what do they all have to be cute? We, we've, a Gundam we've coming robots. out. Let's, <laughs> let's have yeah, exactly. And it's just a. <laughs> now I think maybe the cute robot maybe translates better for for investors and stuff. All right. So these I have a, I have two articles I wanted to show you guys, and they're they're related and actually interestingly kind of ties to my earlier topic of Africa and investments in terms of battery supply chain. But LG signs a massive ten billion dollar deal to make batteries in Indonesia, and at the heart of the reason for this is because Indonesia is a huge exporter of nickel, and nickel is one of those stabilizing agents and batteries that probably are going to be in batteries for for years to come. You know, we're trying to get rid of cobalt and the, the cobalt levels are going down, which is really good because of of, of how the, the geopolitics of it. But nickel is probably gonna be in batteries for, for the long term. And Indonesia is a big time exporter of nickel. 
So for that reason, it would make sense. And LG, by the way, speaking of like how you manage like the corporate structure, LG actually spun off LG Chem into its own little company. And the, the, the holding company is LG, but their battery division is actually kind of its own thing, which I think is yeah LG Energy Solution, which I think is a good move because I think it's going to prove to be one of the more valuable parts of their business. But a $10 billion plant in Indonesia, again, it means jobs, it means huge levels of infrastructure and and um, new opportunity in Indonesia. And this is interesting because Tesla is also thinking about a deal for a battery factory in Indonesia. So what's interesting here is, are they related? Is, is, maybe, is it kind of like the Panasonic Gigafactory partnership? Might there be some sort of an overlap between Tesla's interest and LG's? I'm not sure. We know that Tesla is now working with LG Chem on future batteries and stuff in other products in China and other places. So I wouldn't be surprised if their partnership increases. And even if it doesn't, it just shows you how the world is going to shift as we need nickel, we need lithium. So to the point of lithium, lithium comes largely from like Australia, Canada, um, the lithium triangle in southern Southern America and South America. And so as as we think about going from building a couple hundred thousand EVs a year to a hundred million a year, like large scale production, battery supply chain is probably going to be one of the most important aspects of it all. Yeah, absolutely. Like th you can't overstate. This is basically the new oil boom or oil rush. You know, this is the new oil is minerals that are used in the battery supply chain. So you're going to see more and more companies and countries doubling down in this arena to try to get a, a lock on different mines around the world. And it's really an interesting way that Indonesia sees the writing on the wall. They're being very smart about this. They, they see it and they know how desirable nickel is going to be for the future. And this could be the way to turn their country in a new direction and to do an incredible new build out and make themselves a powerhouse around the world. And it's like, they're taking advantage of the situation and leveraging it, which is from a business perspective and a country's perspective is really smart for what they're doing to get com companies like LG and Tesla to help them ramp up their, their not just the mining, cause they don't, they don't want to just be the mining facility where the, that product is then shipped off somewhere else, they want to become the place where you actually build the batteries because that's where the jobs and the longevity comes from. So it's like they're being very smart about how they're applying this. But it's also really interesting to see that I'm curious too if Tesla is involved with the LG deal because the two of them are already kind of somewhat simpatico and it feels like they could have tag teamed on this to get this deal done. And these two articles might be very much related and... I'm curious to see how this shakes out in the next few months as more details come out. Cause it's like, is this basically the same deal or is this something completely separate where the two companies are basically negotiating similar deals with the country independently, or is it a joint effort? When, when we know more, we'll, we'll cover it. One thing I forgot to mention, by the way, uh, is that the Indonesian government started to say, we're not going to export nickel. Mm -hmm. So if you want our nickel, come and build an end product here. So this is, I, I've always kind of downplayed the importance of government in terms of like the economics of EVs and stuff, but that actually is a pretty bold move. And right. depending on your political views, you might, you might view these kinds of moves differently, like free trade, do you have free trade or not? Um, 
So there's questions with that. But the point is, what they have done is force the hand. Because to your point, would LG Chem, would, would they rather have just bought raw nickel and had it shipped to where they already built batteries? Probably. It would probably be cheaper. But to them, they know how scarce it is. And they, they know the competition. Like Panasonic is looking for reserves of nickel and, and manganese and all the other parts of the battery. And so is Tesla and so everybody else. And so they're thinking, let's get in. Let's get in early. Build a big factory bring in jobs. It's kind of like we, we talked about, you know, like China and India require companies to come in and build batteries or build products in their countries if you're going to sell them in our country. So these are the kinds of interesting moves, right? And what's really crazy is imagine a uh, hundred years ago, there's a huge amount of oil in the Middle East or in Venezuela, these different countries, Russia, and they became the powerful parts of the world these last hundred years, right? Nobody cared if you had a bunch of nickel. That wasn't a thing, but now look how the tides are turning like look at where exxon mobile is trading and if you're in the nickel business even if you trade futures of of mineral rights and stuff like interesting right how the shift of, yeah. of power is happening like in front of our eyes which is why it's i think indonesia is being very smart in how they're playing this by requiring you can't strip mine our country and just take it elsewhere you have to build out here it's like that is very smart because it's gonna help them build up their economy in a way that it hasn't been to this point because this is the new oil it's it's going to it's they're using the leverage they have in a very interesting way there are politics depending on where you fall on the spectrum that this may not be the best thing that you're looking at but it's it's they're they're playing it smart this is essentially what they're doing yeah to your point if you strip a country of their minerals or materials and you and you export it you have you have wealth, like you've made products, but you don't have new customers to sell those products to. When you build factories in a new country and you build wealth in a country, you have new customers. So like economically, these are important things to consider, especially as, you know, like Apple is desperately looking for new people to sell iPhones to. <laughs> Everybody who wants an iPhone has one. Um, there'll come a day when that same thing is true for cars and EVs and stuff. So we need the world when the whole world is more connected and and has better wealth, we all benefit from that. And that's what I've always been a firm believer in. So I love stuff like this. I'm glad to hear that they're going to have that investment. We really appreciate you guys. Thank you for, for making this possible, for letting us jam and talk about all these cool topics that we couldn't do videos about. But um, we really appreciate all of you guys, and we, we hope to do big things in 2021. Kind of to wrap things up. So thanks again for listening and watching. If you're listening to the podcast or watching us live or after the fact, we broadcast live every Thursday, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. So tune in if you want to be part of the Q&A after the show's over. And uh, make sure you subscribe. And for the podcast, go to viceversa.show to subscribe. And be sure to give us a rating and review no matter where you get it from, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Google. Drop a review for us because it really does help. We'll see you in the next one. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. 2020 is almost over. Thank you guys yeah. for tuning in. We, we appreciate you. Bye.